We're in a series that we're uh, beginning to wrap up just this week and then next week and talking about what it means to be faithful, what it looks like in a culture, in a world that is hostile often to the beliefs that we have and the values we have and the practices we have and the God we have. What does it look like to actually be faithful? And we've been talking about all sorts of things, but, but here's what Here's what I believe is true about, about all of us, that, that you want, if you're a Christian, that you want to be faithful. You want to be faithful to God in your job. You want to be faithful to God in the world, even though there's many temptations and pressures that are on you. You want to be faithful in your marriage and in your family. You want to be faithful against all the different things that are external and the various things that we feel internally, you want to be faithful. That's what I believe about us. That's what I believe about you, is that you want to be faithful. But even as I kind of list some of those things, it can feel daunting and feel difficult, feel hard. Like, okay, in my marriage, my family, in my job, and my with temptations and with pressures and with the future and with fears and I mean all these different things. Yeah, I want to be faithful, but that that's a lot of stuff. Where do you right now most feel the challenge of being faithful? Where do you feel that? It could be in maybe some of the areas I listed, or maybe there's particular situations that you're thinking about right now. What is it that we need to be faithful? And we've looked at all sorts of things, but throughout the book of Daniel, there has been one key throughout. There's been one thing that's kind of gone through every story and it's gone through every teaching. There's been one thing that has been constant throughout that we need through many different situations that Daniel and his friends faced and through many different decades. If you've been following along with us in Daniel, and if you're new, that's uh, that's that's fine. Um, you can catch up if you want to um, on online. But Daniel came into Babylon when he was just a teenager, probably around 15 years uh, of age, and was there until his late 80s, possibly early 90s. And so even as you read through Daniel, through many different situations, and through many decades, there is one constant that allowed for faithfulness to be present. There's one constant throughout all of these different things that he modeled for us and that we see, and that is prayer. We see that it is prayer that unlocks God's favor in situations where we would feel like there's no way that, there's no way that these people would grant favor. We see that it's prayer that gives Daniel power that's beyond him to interpret dreams and to uh, help the various leaders and rulers to understand who God is. We see that it's prayer that gives Daniel boldness. We see that it's prayer that rescues Daniel and his friends from various situations. We see that it's prayer that gives him wisdom. And if you go throughout the book of Daniel, we would have to say that what this is teaching us is that we can't be in exile, meaning away from your family, home, friends, values, beliefs, practices. The Jews were transported to Babylon where they were um, in captivity. We can't be in exile. We can't be faithful without prayer. That is the constant 
pattern and model and theme throughout the book of Daniel. Now, we all struggle to pray, if we're honest. We all struggle to pray. We all do it, right? We just prayed a second ago. So we all pray. You pray probably uh, for your food. You, uh, if you have a meal, especially dinner, a lot of times you don't pray for breakfast. And most people don't pray, I always say this, for appetizers, right? Like if you're going out to a restaurant, chips and salsa come, you usually don't pray for that. You wait till the actual dinner comes. I don't know, all sorts of weird rules that we have as Christians. Um, chips and salsa don't need any blessing. Maybe that's what we have learned, is God has already blessed them just in the invention of chips and salsa. Uh, <clears throat> or maybe we know God won't bless our gluttony and continuing to eat basket after basket after basket. Like, here's your dinner. Well, I'm not really hungry anymore. <clears throat> Actually, this whole sermon is just going to be about chips and salsa because I didn't have time to prepare anything else because <coughs> of my sickness. Um, what was I saying? Uh, we pray for all sorts of things, right? And we pray all the time. We pray for, if you're looking for a job, you pray for your job, you pray for your kids. So I, I know that we pray all the time, right? But if we're honest, most of us struggle with prayer still. Maybe we're too busy, we feel, or maybe... Um, we, we, we are, just don't really know how exactly to pray, or we're not really focused when we pray. It's just kind of haphazard. It's not really super intentional. It's just kind of, yeah, we, we, say, we throw up some prayers and say, yeah, God, help this, or bless this, or help my aunt with this, or help this thing. And, but it's not necessarily really what we would want to be, or what we would want it to be. So we pray, but we, we do struggle with prayer. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but if the book of Daniel is teaching us, and it is, that prayer is essential to be faithful, then we will miss out on what it means to be faithful. We will miss out on what it looks like to be in exile and to be faithful to God and to his people if we don't know how to pray the way Daniel did. What if... The key to your faithfulness is not just courage, is not just knowledge of who God is, is not just friendship with other people that share what you believe, but, but what if it's true that a key to your faithfulness is going to be prayer? Imagine reading through the book of Daniel and prayer being taken out of it. Daniel gets put in the lion's den and is torn to pieces. The end. Or Daniel is told, hey, if you can't interpret this dream, everybody's going to be killed. And Daniel goes, all right, I'll give it a shot. I think it means you, you are angry with your dad. And Nebuchadnezzar says, nope, kill him and everybody else. The end. Chapter 2. I mean, imagine the book of Daniel without prayer, if you take that away. But now think about our lives. And oftentimes, if the story of our life was written, prayer might be these little kind of blips, but it isn't the constant theme. It's not the constant thing that shows up in every single situation, in every single time. So my contention is that the book of Daniel teaches us that a absolute fundamental key to faithfulness is prayer. I was going to read to you a bunch of different quotes by people that are famous because that maybe would persuade you, uh, of how important prayer is. People, the greats of the faith in our time, whether that's the Reformers, Martin Luther, Calvin, or people like John Wesley or Charles Spurgeon. And, and I spent a little bit of time doing that, but then I didn't 
pull it all together. So go Google uh, <laughs> people, quotes on prayer by famous Christians, and then maybe you'll be inspired. But everybody says prayer is absolutely necessary. Okay, so there's the intro. Um, now, what do we need to see about prayer? Let's, let's explore this together. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the, the posture of prayer, the pattern of prayer, and the promise of prayer. Daniel chapter 9 will begin with the posture of prayer, or how is it that we need to come to God in prayer? Here's the first part. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70, meaning how long that they would be in captivity in Babylon. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And we'll stop there. We'll, we're going to read through the whole chapter, but we'll just stop there and look at what this shows us of how Daniel begins in prayer, the posture of prayer. How is it that we come to God in prayer? And there's three things here that we can see. The first is that he comes responsibly, not responsibly, but responsive. He is responding to God. It says that he was reading the books according to the word of the Lord and the prophet Jeremiah. So he is reading the, the books in the Old Testament that were there thus far. Obviously not the entire Old Testament hadn't been written yet, but a lot of it had. And he is reading from the prophet Jeremiah. He's reading God's word. And throughout this prayer that we will see, it's, he quotes things from Deuteronomy. There's things from the Psalms. So Daniel is reading the Bible. He is reading the Bible, and that leads him to pray. It says he understood from the books, and then that led him to pray. So he opens up God's word. He's reading Jeremiah. He's reading the Psalms. He's reading Deuteronomy. And there's certain things that he hears God speaking, and then he responds in speaking to God. That is what prayer is. It's a conversation. Prayer is that we listen to God through his word, and then we talk back to him. That's why oftentimes, if we don't read the way that Daniel is, if we, excuse me, if we don't pray the way that Daniel is praying, then our prayers are often messed up. And I'm not saying every single time that you pray, you have to start with the Bible, but when you don't, oftentimes our prayers become uh, indulgent, meaning that they are just kind of focused on the things that I want and things that bring me pleasure and the things that I care about, and we're just kind of focused on us. And so when you're not actually hearing God speak and then praying to him, but you're just kind of saying, God, you know, I really would like this, and this would be really nice, and could you bless me with this, and could you give me some chips and salsa, and could you take care of this, and could you work on this? We just kind of pray things that become indulgent. Or maybe our prayers are ignorant. We're just praying things that we want God to do, and maybe God has already told us in his word that he doesn't want to do that. We ask God to bless things that God says he's not going to bless. We ask God to do things that God says he's not going to do. We are ignorant in our prayers, not actually knowing how we should pray or what we should pray. And to pray responsively is to listen to God and then to talk back to him. 
Because, here's the thing, God speaks to you. God wants to speak to you. It's amazing that Daniel, even though he, we know now, he is writing a book of the Bible, that he is reading a book of the Bible and listening and saying, I need to hear God's voice. And then he prays back to God based on those things. So that's the first thing. The posture of prayer should be responsive. We come listening to God and then we speak to God. But also attentive. He says, I turned my attention to the Lord God. Now that might seem kind of like a throwaway line. And yet a lot of times when we pray, it can be just kind of a a ritual. We're just kind of going through the motions. That we just kind of say words and we're not even really thinking about them that much. We just kind of say, okay, dear God and dear Jesus, and would you do this and do that? And in Jesus' name, amen. Like, what was I really even praying? Or am I kind of just spouting off words and going through some kind of weird language ritual? Which is part of why even Jesus says that when you pray, and I don't think this is, this isn't Jesus prayed with people and there's public and corporate prayer that happens. So I don't think this is an exclusive command. But Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room by yourself, shut the door and talk to your father in secret. Because that is focused. That's attentive. That's what Daniel's doing. And we saw Daniel do that earlier where it says he's in his room. He's got the windows open. He's praying towards Jerusalem. He's down on his knees. There's a focus that is present. So Daniel is attentive. See, without this, we miss what God wants to do. When we just kind of throw out words and maybe you're not attentive to the word, you're not attentive to God's word speaking to you, and you're not attentive even as you speak back to God, what happens is we miss out on what God wants to do. This is true with most things in life, that if we aren't attentive, we miss out. Think about if you're in a conversation with someone and they're just kind of on their phone the whole time. Are they getting the benefits of what could happen in that conversation? Think about if you're, um, even sometimes when I go to the movies, I look and there's people on their phones, like scrolling. Like, what are you, why are you paying however much a movie is now? $50, you know, to come watch a movie when you're just scroll on your phone. It doesn't make any sense. But you, you, you will miss out when you're not fully present. You'll miss out when you're not fully focused. And God wants to bring things to you in prayer. God wants you to hear his voice in prayer, and he wants to hear from you in prayer. But the posture has to be, I'm attentive. The same way that's true in any relationship, right? In any relationship, we, we want to set our phone down. We want to be present, be focused. That's the posture that we need in prayer. And then finally, he comes humbly. It says he comes with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And all of those things are to say there's this posture of humility, a posture of neediness to say, I need you. I need you. Sackcloth would be uncomfortable kind of clothing. Ashes would, you know what ashes are, but all, all of those things just kind of represent a, a neediness and a, a humility that says, I, I can't do anything apart from you. That's the posture that Daniel comes in with prayer. It's not a impress. It's not like, God, I'm here and I'm, I'm so good, so listen to me. Or 
my prayers are so amazing and articulate, so listen to me. Or it's also not just kind of a casual posture of, hey, God, what's up, dude? It's a, I need you. I need you. And when we come like that, we're actually ready to receive. When we come to God saying, I need you, that puts us in a place where we're open to then receive what God has for us, to receive what he wants to speak to us. And Daniel shows us that this is the absolute posture that we must come in. So there's a responsiveness, an attentiveness, and a humility. How we come, our posture matters. I don't know if you think about that a lot when you think about prayer, of your posture and how you come, but it it matters how you approach God. Think about even just other things in life where if you have a bad attitude about something before you even do it, it can ruin the whole experience. Maybe you've had something like that where you just kind of like, ah, this party's going to suck, and then it sucked. You're like, yep, I knew it. Well, maybe because your attitude was like that. Or sometimes we, in a similar vein, if you're going to go to a movie and a friend has told you how amazing it is, and it's the best movie in the world, and, and you go to it, and then you're like, yeah, it was okay. But sometimes if someone sets our expectations too high, then it kind of messes it up, right? So your posture entering into something changes your experience of it, right? And our posture in prayer affects how we experience it. And God wants us to come in a way where we're totally kind of de-self-centered, where we're not focused on us. We are coming in a way where we're responding to him. That's de-self-centering us. We're focused on him. We're not just focused on us. We're not thinking about how great we are, how awesome we are, just kind of casually. We're knowing we need him. We're in humility. It's de-self-centering. All those things change how we experience God in prayer. So that's the posture of prayer, how we come. And then the pattern of prayer. How, what is it that we actually pray? What do we actually say to God? So I'm going to read this kind of next section that Daniel lays out what his prayer is, and then we'll go back through it and see the various kind of components that are included in the pattern of prayer. Here's what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keeps his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. Lord, Public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God. Though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets, all Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. 
he has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And this gives to us the pattern of prayer. Now, I don't want to be too rigid on this and say that this is exactly how we have to pray, and yet there is often ways that the Bible gives us that kind of prescribe or describe what good prayer looks like. I always think about when the disciples come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, because they're listening to him pray, they've been around him for a long time, and the disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I think that if that happened today, that oftentimes the response that we would think would be that Jesus would say, no one needs to teach you to pray. Just follow your heart and do whatever's inside. Or there's no right way to pray. Just say whatever you want to God. I think that's how we think that the the answer would be given. And yet, that's not what Jesus does. They come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, I will. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. And you read through the book of Psalms, which is essentially the book of prayers. And it walks through all the different over 150 psalms that give to us, here is how we pray. God is giving us a book of the Bible, instructing us and teaching us to pray. So all that is to say, I don't want to be too rigid in saying you have to pray in this formula. And yet there is a pattern of prayer that we see throughout the Bible in both the teaching of Jesus, in the psalms, in prayers like this, where we see, okay, there is kind of a pattern that oftentimes is followed. And you may have heard this acronym before. I know I've mentioned it at different times. There's an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And really, we see that present here in Daniel's prayer. So I'm going to go through those, show you what Daniel says, but I need to take a drink of my whiskey first. (laughs) It's water. Okay. Or is it? Liquid courage. Okay. Uh, here, so Daniel starts with adoration. Look how he begins. He says, Lord, 
the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. So he starts with adoration. He starts with declaring who God is. That's what adoration is. He is praising God for who he is. And I won't go through all of them, but he kind of, it's not just that you go adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Oftentimes it kind of bounces in between those things, but they're all included. But he does start with, God, here's who you are. And then throughout the prayers, he says things like, Lord, you are the righteous one. Righteousness belongs to you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to you. The Lord our God is righteous in all he has done. So he is, through his prayer, declaring who God is. He is, through his prayer, saying, God, I am worshiping you for who you are. Now, that's a lot of times different from how we pray. If you think about your prayers, where do we often start when we pray? We often start with asking God for things. A lot of times as we begin our prayers, we jump right into, God, hello, it's me. Could you do this for me? And could you help this person? And could you bless this person? And could you take care of this person? And could you work on this? And God, could you heal this? And could you? We often jump right into asking for things, right? How much of our prayer is actually adoration? Daniel's prayer is filled with and starts with, you are the awe-inspiring God. You keep your covenant with your people. Compassion belongs to you. Righteousness belongs to you. He pray, he's praising who God is. When we start our prayers like this, and when we fill our prayers like this, it reminds us of who he is, which helps us to see reality. It helps us to actually see things as they are. Because if you know these things are true, then what happens in our prayers? If you know that God is righteous, if you know that God is compassionate, if you know that God is forgiving, if you know that God is awe-inspiring and he's great, if you know that God is the one that keeps his covenant with his people, if you know those things, what happens? It grounds your prayers. You know, this is who I'm praying to. So that gives you an assurance that God can answer those prayers. It gives you an assurance that even if God doesn't turn out things the way we want them to, you're reminded, but this is who he is. This is why it's so important not to just jump straight into our requests, but to remember and to, to reflect upon, here is who God is. Here's the one I'm talking to. It gives us reality. It grounds us in who we're even speaking to. So this is adoration. And then he goes into confession, which really is kind of the context of the whole prayer. He's reading the book of, of Jeremiah and others, and he, Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesies that Israel will be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And he knows, okay, we're kind of coming to that 70-year point. So then he's confessing his sins and the sins of Israel, saying, God, forgive us and do be gracious to us. Take us now out of captivity and restore us. Fulfill the promises that you have said. That's, that's kind of the context Confession is kind of the context of the whole thing, but specifically, he then moves into saying, we have sinned, we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly, we've turned away from your commands, we've not listened. Public shame belongs to us because of the disloyalty they've shown towards you. So I'm just kind of highlighting parts of this, even though he confesses multiple things throughout, but I want you to see here several things. First of all, Daniel identifies with the people. He doesn't say, they, oh my gosh, they have sinned, God, forgive them. 
And what do we know about Daniel? He seems to be a great guy. He seems to be an honorable person, someone that has honored God and loved God and followed God. And yet he is saying, we have sinned. We have sinned. It's similar to what the Apostle Paul says when he says, I'm the chief of sinners. The Apostle Paul, you wrote a bunch of the Bible. You've done all sorts of great things. And he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Because oftentimes the closer you get to God, the more that you are aware of your sin. And so Daniel is able to say, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. The closer you to get, the closer you get to God, it's not true that the more you realize how holy you are. <clears throat> Some of you maybe need to hear that because as you've grown in your faith, you actually begin to feel worse in some way. You begin to feel like, man, I thought I was really good and mature, and now I'm just realizing I'm sinful here, I'm sinful there, I'm sinful here. And that's oftentimes what happens. So Daniel identifies with the sin, and part of what he says about the sin is that it is not listening. That is core to what all sin is is that we do not listen to God, we do not listen to his word, and we do not listen to the people that he has given. He says, to your, the, to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name, to our kings, our leaders, ancestors. We, it, part of what sin is, is we don't listen to the people that God has given to us to speak his word into our life. And we just kind of go about our business thinking, eh, it doesn't really matter. Daniel says, I identify, I know I'm guilty. And Daniel says, part of what the core of sin is, is knowing we have not listened to you. That's repeated throughout. And he says, and he says that it is against God. It's disloyalty that they have shown toward you. Sometimes we think that our sin is just interpersonal. So I'm rude to you, or I'm impatient with you, or I... I betrayed you, or I gossiped about you. But the Bible will teach us that all sin is sin against God. That all sin is ultimately a disloyalty towards God. So Daniel confesses all of these things. He says, we've done wrong. He says, I'm part of the problem. He says, we haven't listened to you. He says, it's been against you. And Daniel knows that he deserves and that Israel deserves punishment. That's what he knows. He knows we deserve punishment. We deserve what you have given to us. And yet, what does he do? He asks for mercy. He says, God, be merciful to us. He doesn't come and say, God, we've sinned, but you know we didn't really mean it. Or God, you know my heart. You know in my heart I really am a good person. He doesn't say, God, we'll try harder next time. He comes and he says, we need mercy. We need your mercy. I love what he says. He says, we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. For your own sake, don't delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. Look at this heart. Of confession. He says, I'm not, I'm not asking you to forgive me. I'm not asking to give you to give us grace because of how great we are, how much we've done, 
how, how much we're going to take the second chance you've given us and, and really make sure that we do it right this time. He says, we're not presenting this before you based on us, but based on you. We know that you are compassionate. We know that you are a forgiving God. We know that you are a gracious God. We know that that's who you have said that you are. God has revealed himself as this, and Daniel is saying, we can't, we can't come to you based on our stuff and say, forgive us. But we can come to you based on who you say you are and say, forgive us. That is amazing. It's the same way that Jesus invites us to pray to him. When you come to God, you don't come to him asking him to forgive you or to be merciful to you because you've done something good or even because your prayer is really good because you've mustered up all the right words and thoughts and, and now you can kind of present that to God. You come to him because Jesus has already said, I forgive you. I give you grace. I, give, I am a compassionate, forgiving savior. And because of that, listen, that's part of what it means when we say, in Jesus' name, if we pray like that. When you pray something and you say, in Jesus' name, amen, you are saying, based on who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I'm bringing this request to you. I'm not saying, in Caleb's name, amen. You're not praying in your own name. You're not praying based on your own merits. You're praying based on who Jesus is and his forgiveness and his grace and saying, based on him, will you hear me? Based on him, will you be merciful to me? So Daniel comes in confession. It's the same way we can come. And then he comes with thanksgiving. And it, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't... Um, it doesn't directly use the word uh, thanks here, but what Daniel is doing is what thanksgiving is, which is to remember what God has done and to re re remind yourself of that and repeat that and to acknowledge God, what God has done, how he has showed up. So he says, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name re renowned as it is this day, and then he says, in keeping with all your righteous acts. So you, you saved your people out of Egypt. You showed your strength. You showed your salvation. And you've done all sorts of righteous acts. In keeping with that, now let me bring some of these requests to you. This is what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is remembering what God has done. It's remembering how God has shown up in our lives. It's reminding ourselves of that. And in some way, it's it's declaring that back to God and saying, God, I know and I thank you that you've shown up and that you've brought salvation. I thank you that you've done all sorts of righteous acts in my life and in the life of your people. And I now, based on that, ask you to be consistent with that. But thanksgiving is remembering what God has done. Because listen, isn't it easy to forget? Isn't it? Sometimes I, I find it so amazing in my own life and in the lives of other people, when I, when I spend time uh, talking with other folks, we pray, we pray and we ask God for things. God answers, and then we don't even thank him. We're just kind of like, well, yeah, that would have happened anyway, or, uh, you know, whatever, and just kind of move on. And yet, <clears throat> Thanksgiving reminds us of God's work. Thanksgiving reminds us of the good that God has done in our life already. 
Have you seen God show up in your life? Have you seen God do good things to you and answer prayers and show up with his strength and show up with his power and do righteous acts in your life? Have you seen him bless other people that you prayed for and he helped them and he loved them? Have you seen God show up in your life? I'm I'm sure you have. You've seen God encourage you. You've seen God strengthen you. You may have seen God heal you. You've seen God provide financially, emotionally, relationally. You've seen God do things in your life. Thanksgiving is to remember that. It's to say, God, I remember you showed up. I remember you delivered your people out of slavery. You, you have done many righteous acts. When we remember those things and thank God, it gives us a confidence and a hope that he can do it again. That's why he says, in keeping with your righteous acts. Even today, uh, I have preached sick before. And I was reminding and thanking God. God, thank you that you've shown up when I've been sick before and helped me to preach. Thank you that you've shown up before. And I know that I can get up there and I can preach. I'm not saying it's the best sermon in the world, but I know I can get up there and I can preach because I know you've done that before. So thank you. Thank you that you have done that. Thank you you've shown up for me before. You've strengthened me before. Thank you. When we remember what God's done, it helps us to have a confidence that he'll continue to be who he has been. And then finally... There is supplication, which is we are asking God for things. We start with adoration. Here's who God is. We move to confession, where we say, God, forgive me. Here's where I've sinned, and it's against you. Then thanksgiving, where we are remembering who God has been to us and what he has done for us. And then supplication, which is just a a weird word for asking God for things. And he has all sorts of different things in here, but the core of it is, he says, make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Open your eyes, see our desolations. And then at the end, he just kind of piles it on. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. Do not delay. He's saying, you said you would deliver your people in 70 years. God, show up now. Come through for us. Do what you said you would do. Forgive us. Hear us. Act. Do some stuff. Make stuff happen. Now, I have heard it said by well-meaning Christians that prayer is more for us than it is about actually having God do things. It's more about what God is doing in us than it is about actually having God do things. That when you pray... It's more about what God's doing inside of you than what God is going to do outside of you. That is false and not true. And if you've heard people say that, they're wrong, even if they are your grandma and they're trying to be sweet. That is not true. And if that's true, then there's a lot of pages that you should rip out of the Bible. Because all throughout the Bible, there is no way you would ever get that idea outside of sentimentality. You would not be able to read the Bible and think that the main point of prayer is just to do some kind of work inside of you. You would not be able to get that. All throughout the instructions of Jesus, of Paul, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, of the Psalms, of Daniel right here pleading to God, 
it is that we believe prayer actually results in God doing things. That is what is true. And I think that well-meaning Christians have oftentimes said something about prayer being mainly kind of what God's doing inside of us than outside because we've seen a lot of our prayers unanswered. So to deal with that, we create our own weird theology of prayer and saying, God doesn't actually do anything. He just does work inside of you to make you feel better. Well, that's not true. And there's all sorts of things that I've prayed to God for that he hasn't answered and that I don't understand why and that I don't get it and it won't make sense to me until I die and I'm having a beer with Moses and you know him and Jesus sit down and we hang out and we're playing Parcheesi or something and he explains it all to me. I've never played Parcheesi before. I'm waiting. <clears throat> so there's all sorts of things I'm saying that, that I don't understand why God hasn't answered the prayers, okay? But that's not an excuse for changing the Bible's teaching on prayer, which is that we pray and God actually answers our prayers, that God actually works through our prayers. And there are so many things in your life and in my life, there are so, you need to hear me on this, some of you especially if you've bought into what I said before. There are things in your life that you will not be able to experience outside of prayer. What if there is so much that you are missing out on because you don't pray? What if there's so much that you aren't experiencing because you're not asking God for it? And you've kind of bought into some sort of passive lie that, well, if God wants to do it, God will do it. And God is saying, no, ask me to do it, and then I'll do it. For those of you that have kids, this is oftentimes how it works with our children. There are things that I do for my kids without them asking me. That's true. But there's a bunch of things that I do for my kids only when they ask me. If they say, hey, can I have extra time on my video games? Most of the time the answer is no. But sometimes the answer is, yeah, sure, why not? But they only got that because they asked me. There's plenty of things that we only get and receive from God if we ask him. And I could go another two hours, not today because of my sickness, so you can be thankful for that. Maybe God answered some of your prayers. Um, but there are plenty of things that I could show you where the Bible shows to us this is what happens when we pray, and this is what happens when we pray, and this is what happens when we pray, and this and this, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And we can't presume that God will just give that to us if, if we don't ask. When God says, the way that I give it to you is by you praying and asking me for it. God loves to. He delights in answering our prayers. But most of the time, he won't do that unless we actually ask. There is a life that God wants to give to you that is only available through you asking him for it. There are things that God wants to do inside of you things that God wants to do through you, changes he wants to make happen in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships that will only happen through prayer. So we must ask God to do things. That's supplication. Now, all of these things we need, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, we need all of these things. On our own, we are imbalanced, we might do one of these things, but not the others. We're, we're missing pieces. But imagine all of that stuff active in your life. Regularly receiving forgiveness. Regularly reminding yourself of who God is, of 
what he's done, of actually believing and trusting that God will change things through our asking him to do so. God is saying, I want you to know me as this, and presents all of these things. Now, the final thing we're going to look at is the promise of prayer. So the posture of prayer is how we come. The pattern is what we actually say. And then the promise is, okay, so then what does God say will happen as we pray? What is the promise of prayer? And to the, let me say this. So to the degree that you think that prayer is kind of unnecessary because I can just kind of do things on my own. I don't need God to show up and do them. Or to the degree that you think God is uninvolved and doesn't actually do things or doesn't actually change things. Or to the degree that you think he's uncaring. So, you know, he might not just care that much about your life or the things happening. To the degree you think any of those things is to the degree that you will pray. But if you believe God really cares about me, he's really involved, and he's really needed. That will change your prayer, which gets at really what the key of all prayer is, is that it's not just based on a technique or even the posture, but it's based on our relationship and who we see God to be, which is why Jesus teaches us to begin with our Father, because we're reminded, here's who he, here's the one that I'm praying to is. And this will, this next part will help us to see three parts that we need to see about who God is. And so let's read the next part. He says, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, an angel, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me this explanation, Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. So there's three things that I'm calling promises or things that we are assured about of who God is and what God does when we pray. And the first part is that he hears. That's very simple and yet so needed. He says, while I was praying... And then the angel says, at the beginning of your petitions, so all of that is just to say, God is saying, I hear you. While you're praying, I hear you. At the very beginning of your petitions, not even at the end of them, not was like, okay, how good is this going to be? If, am I going to listen or not? Did he follow Acts all the way through? Or did he miss the T? Ah, dang it. I'm not going to really hear you now. He says, I, heard, I hear you. I hear what you are saying to me. That's amazing, right? Imagine you're praying, God, would you bless this food? And the angel shows up and says, yep, God heard you. That would blow your mind, right? God hears your prayers. We, we don't usually get an angel that just shows up and tells us, yep, God heard you. But we get this story telling us that this is what happens when we pray, that God hears you. Even just that brings a lot of encouragement, that God actually hears you. Your prayers don't stop at that roof. Your prayers don't stop at the sky if you're praying outside. Your prayers don't stop it in your home. Your prayers, your prayers reach God. He actually hears you. Whatever you have said to God, even this week, even today, God hears you. 
If you've said to God, God, will you forgive me? He hears you. If you've said, God, I'm, I'm lonely, he heard you. If you've said, God, will you show up and change this thing, he heard you. If you've said, God, would you help me? I, I need you at, in my job, he hears you. If you've said, God, I, I don't know what to do about this situation, I need wisdom, God hears you. Maybe, maybe some of you, that's, maybe you'll never even come back again and be like, that guy was weird, he, he was preached sick, but at least just, will you take this? Whatever you have prayed, God hears you. That is a truth that we need, that God hears you when you pray. The second thing that we are told is, and this one maybe is even better, is that God loves us. He says, you are treasured by God. And that's not just Daniel, because we're told that for those of us that are Christians, that because we belong to Jesus, that God loves us with a, an unending love that can't be shaken, and that he has, he has loved us as God the Father loves us as he loves his own son. You are treasured by God. I love that he, before he even gives him an answer, he tells him this, you're treasured by God. And even in some ways, that's a part of the answer. He says, I've come to give you an answer. You're treasured by God. What if, as you're just pouring out your heart to God in prayer, what if as you're presenting things to him, God said, I know you're asking me for all these different things. I know you're asking me to heal this and change this and give wisdom here and give peace here and give comfort here. And there's all these different, you're asking me for financial stuff and you're asking me for house stuff and kids stuff and marriage stuff. And you're asking me for all these different things. I love you. You're treasured by me. What if that was the only answer that he gave to you? Oh, man, even that would probably change a lot, right? Even that answer, even if you didn't actually get the tangible results that you were praying for, but God just said, you're treasured by me. That is reassuring. That as you pray for forgiveness for sin, that as you pray for wisdom in situations, God just tells you, I treasure you. You're praying for God to show up and help you out in things where it feels like you're at a loss and, and you can't, you don't know what to do, and God just says, I love you. That is what God speaks to you. That is the promise of prayer, is that God hears and that God loves you. God treasures you. And then, finally, the promise is that God does actually answer. And God answers. The angel says, at the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I've come to give it. So God says, okay, you've been praying. I'm going to give you an answer. And remember the context. Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah, especially. talks about that in 70 years, God's people will be brought out of exile, brought back, restored Daniel saying, okay, God, then please do that. And the angel says, I have an answer to give to you. And there's two ways that God often answers our prayers, and both of them show up here. The first one is simply, here's the next part. He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. 
I've come to give it for you, are treasured by God. So consider the message, understand the vision. Okay, so the first way that God answers is simply by speaking to him. Simply by saying, okay, I'm going to give you understanding, and here's a message. Now, here, here's what I mean by this, because maybe this is a little confusing. <clears throat> when you pray, God will give you an answer in two ways. We'll talk about the second one in a minute. But the first way is simply by giving you his word and speaking to you. So let's say you're asking God to give you a job. Well, the tangible thing that you want might be the second way that God answers it. But the first way that God answers it is simply by giving you his word and speaking to you, giving you a message, giving you understanding. So you might be praying for a job and God simply says, remember, as you open up, if you're praying with your Bible open, that he says, I care for you, I love you, I'm present with you. He speaks to you. That's just part of the answer right there. Again, if you, if you think about uh, with your children or for those of you that once were children and you ask your parents for something and they respond to you and they say, okay, let's talk about it. They're already giving you an answer even if they haven't actually done the thing that you've asked for. That God works the same way. He's giving Daniel an answer just by speaking to him. And God does the same thing for us, that as you pray to God, he will answer you by reminding you of who he is, of his love, of his power. And then the second way is that God actually changes things. He gives the thing that we are asking for. So let me read what the angel says. He says, now, let me just back up for a second. This is the part of this chapter that is the most uh, confusing and the part of this chapter that a lot of people said, uh, a lot of scholars and commentators say, and many people say is probably the most confusing passage in the whole Old Testament. So I'm glad that I can preach on it while I'm sick. So <clears throat> here's what he says. So consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be, are you counting? Keep, keep your calculator out. It, it will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. After those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Okay, you get all that? So... I know that's a lot of stuff. Uh, what I want to show you is this is from one of the commentaries that um, I've been reading throughout this series. Is He kind of presents four different views that people have on these 72 weeks, 62 weeks, one week. Here's the, kind of the four views that are present for those of you especially that are like, what does this mean? When's this going to happen? So view number one. 77s are literal years that run from either 605 or 586 B.C. to the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. We talked about him last week. The dates, however, simply don't work. This view does not fit well with what Daniel 9.24-27 actually says. This view is usually advocated by more liberal scholars. You can do more research on this. Uh, I'm happy to maybe send something out in the next newsletter if people want to dig into this more yourself. 
view two. The 77s are symbolic periods of time culminating in the first century AD when Jesus came. This view also struggles with dates and the content of the prophecy. So a lot of times prophecies have all these different numbers, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to add them all up, but just like when Jesus says, how, how often are we supposed to forgive? Jesus says 70 times 7. He didn't mean that you actually calculate that, and that's exactly how many times you forgive. If someone crosses that, then great, you get to pay them back finally. You know, they're like, oh, no, that was 70 times 69. Yep, sorry, sucker. Like, that's not what Jesus meant. He meant kind of symbolically, and a lot of times that's how prophecy works. So that's kind of what this view is saying. View three, the 77s are symbolic periods of time ending with the second coming of Christ. The 77s are a prophecy of church history, both the Old Testament and the New Testament church, from Cyrus's decree in 538 BC until the return of Christ at the end of the age. View four, the 77s are literal years that end with Christ's second coming, but also include his first coming, and there's an important prophetic gap between the 69th and 70th week. Some of you are probably like, I don't even care. Okay, that's fine, but I wanted to at least show you there's a handful of different views. A lot, again, a lot of the things in the book of Daniel there's a lot of consensus on, a lot of agreement on. This is the one that almost every commentator is like, well, I kind of think this, and I kind of think this, and I kind of think this, and I add up these dates, and it matches here. And, I add, and it's, it's confusing. And I don't know. You know the, some of these views make more sense to me than others, but I don't, I don't have the answer for you. Um, and that's okay, because even Daniel, after most of these visions, he's like, I don't understand. So I feel in good company. And most of the visions that Daniel gets, and he got them directly from the angel, He's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, cool. I don't understand. I'm going to bed. That's usually what happens with Daniel, and that's kind of how I feel. Um, But here's what what it does show us, is that God answers. So the promise is that God hears us. He loves us. He answers by speaking, but he also answers by changing. Whatever that stuff means, what it does mean is this. The angel is saying, the restoration that you are praying for will come. Whatever kind of 77s and 62, whatever it all means, the angel says, what you're praying for is going to happen. It will come. You want to see God's people fully restored. It will happen. But notice that he says, an answer went out. So I'm answering you, but 70 weeks are decreed, meaning whatever exactly this means, if it means literal or it means symbolic, it, it at least means this. Yes, everything will be fully restored, but it's going to take a while, and you're not going to live to see it. Everything will be fully restored, but it's not going to happen when you wanted it to happen. It's, even though the people of God will go back to Jerusalem, but what the angel is saying, but everything that you're desiring, it's not going to happen yet. It's going to take a while. Now, I think that's encouraging in some ways. Some ways it's discouraging. But what it does mean is that God hears our prayers, God loves us, and God answers us. But it doesn't always happen on the timeline that we want it to happen on. And yet it will happen. Listen, have you ever prayed for healing? Here's the truth, even though it's not exactly what you want to hear. You will one day be fully healed. Your body will one day be perfect. And some of you might go, my body's perfect now. Well, no. But your body will one day be perfect. You want to see relationships fully restored and reconciled? One day that will fully happen. 
You want to see a perfect relationship with God where you don't sin anymore and you're totally able to enjoy him fully? You will have that. But just like the angel says, full restoration often takes longer than we thought. But, like the Bible says, in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. All of God's promises are fully realized in Jesus. All God's promises. And at least when you read this prophecy from Daniel chapter 9, and he says all the things that are going to happen after these 70 weeks, and he says that rebellion will be brought to an end, there will be a stop put to sin, iniquity will be atoned for, the anointed one will bring in everlasting righteousness. He will seal up vision and prophecy, meaning confirm all vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. I mean, it's hard for me to read that and go, that's not pointing to Jesus. And you read that, those things, and he is saying, everything you're praying for will happen, but it's not going to happen when you wanted it to happen. And it will ultimately happen in Jesus, that he will bring those things that you long for and desire for. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, I know that we all want to be faithful. You read the book of Daniel and go, man, what if I could be like Daniel? What if, what if I could have his boldness? I could have his wisdom. I could have his endurance. I could have his favor. What if I could be like Daniel? I, I, I kind of feel that way when reading this book. And yet much of that hinges on prayer. Much of it hinges, much of our faithfulness hinges upon prayer because it is connecting our life to God, connecting him to our life. And so as we take communion, which if you're a Christian and you didn't grab a cup on the way in, please grab one of those. When we take communion, we are remembering that we, Jesus actually bought the way for us to come before God. That on the cross, Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed to forgive us of our sins and to give us access to God, which is why the book of Hebrews says, we now can come boldly before the throne. We don't have to kind of come in prayer timidly like, okay, God, hopefully you'll hear from me. We can come boldly in prayer because Jesus has purchased the way for us to stand before God as his, as belonging to him. And so if you're a Christian, when we take communion, part of what we're remembering is I can have a relationship and prayer with God that is totally uninhibited. Not based on me, but based on him and his character, like Daniel prayed. And so as we come and we take communion, know that God hears your prayers, know that God loves you, know that God answers your prayers, and that all of those things are confirmed, they're made possible because of Jesus. And you can have that confidence because of him. So take some time, pray to God, and then even just as an application this week, what if you took 10 minutes this week each day and tried to pray through some passage of the Bible using adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication? What kind of faithfulness might be possible in your life if that became the regular pattern of your life? Let's pray. And let's respond to God. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you uh, that you 
hear our prayers, that you assure us that you hear our prayers, that you love us, that you answer our prayers, ultimately in Jesus. I pray even now, just as we sing and take communion, that you would confirm these truths to our hearts. In your name, Jesus. Amen.